Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today we have a triple feature for you, starting off with author Michael Allen Zell, who has released the next segment in his Bobby Delery mystery series entitled City Crystal Soul Man. Here it is. Hey, how's it going today, Michael? Hey, I'm great. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. You know, it's always nice to come here. Okay. Oh, Enjoy it. <laughs> so you have your new book out, uh, City Crystal Soul Man. This is the yes. third part of your Bobby Delery series. Yes. Uh, how does it feel to have it out in the world? You know, it feels good. This one this one took a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, the previous books were writing about the prior year in New Orleans. And this one is, it's in part 2016 New Orleans. And it's in part a different kind of New Orleans in my head at yeah. the same time. But... It's more comedic. Ah. It's a little more comedic. Well, you know, that's one thing with the series, too, is y- y- the books need to be similar. Yeah. But I also want to inject different parts of myself to keep it fresh. No, I get that. At the same time, so there's that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Did you change imprints? Yeah. Uh, so the press, MBW, is not as mysterious as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's actually far more simplistic. Okay. It's just Michael Books Worldwide. Oh, nice. And uh, because the intent with this is to start out with baby steps, but actually um, to publish uh, some New Orleans authors and also some international stuff. Okay, that's so That's great. what I read personally a lot of. So um, we'll see, we'll see what kind of shakes, you know, with that. Yeah. Most likely... Those who are expatriates in the U.S. that would be able to, you know, do readings and events in the U.S. But I'm I'm presently learning, and when I say learning, it's just a few vocabulary words a day. So this is this is stunted learning. Yeah, uh, I'm learning Mandarin and Igbo. Oh wow! So there, perhaps may mean that coming from that, not to give anything away. Yeah, but that these might be either Chinese or Nigerian authors. Okay, so we'll interesting. See. Plus New Orleans, of course. Yeah, so, yeah. you throw yeah. that in the mix, that's good. Yeah. Has this always been a goal for you? Um, you, you know, I guess it's, as a, as a reader, yeah. first off, writing at some point was a goal. Yeah. Um, publishing, I mean, publishing was as well for the sake that when I was managing Crescent City Books, CCB, as far as the titles that were acquired, the, the idea of that starting the name acquired, that was me. So this is, you know, a new extension of that. I, get that. I guess at the same time. So in a perfect world, would somebody else be doing it? Yeah. But I like the idea of, I mean, not as a gatekeeper, but not as a tastemaker, but there's certain things I like that I think need to get more, you know, more attention. Um, and this was a way, or maybe out of print, yeah. that, you know, unmercifully out of print. So um, this was a way just conveniently, like, you know what, I'll start it with mine and then that's kind of a way to get the word out little by little. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, new press, query, new press, send this and that, it seemed like a little easier, you know, what actually if I say, okay, there's a book out, then this is a way to, to approach that. So yeah. we'll see. Okay, well, that's exciting. I'm glad yeah. for you. Yeah, it was just a, I mean, it was a simple thing. There's a, um, a Nigerian guy, DeVito, who actually is breaking in the U.S., like has some songs um, that are above a lot of big U.S. performers. Okay. And his his label is is uh, DMW um, David O Music Worldwide, 
And I kind of like that. I like the simplicity of it. But, you know, it has like FSG, yeah. BMW, just simple acronym. But people, what does the acronym mean? That's all it means. <laughs> That's all it means. <laughs> no, I like that. And, you know, you're talking about kind of the humor in this new novel and kind of uh, yeah. playing heavy on the satirical things. And yeah. 2016 New Orleans, so obviously there's like a, a politics of absurdity in there. Um, was it fun for you to kind of dive into that and kind of recess some of those things? Yeah, I mean, it, it, and that's the balance is, is when I, when I say this is comedic and as, as you said, you know, one side of the book is, is this, uh, kind of dry humor, but that's there as a counterbalance because the other side of it is pretty heavy yeah. at the same time. There's a young woman that's gone missing. There's a pyramid. The pyramid scheme is played a little bit more for laugh, but, yeah. but it's, it's mostly about this young woman's gone missing and kind of everything around why she's gone missing is real, real heavy. And um, if that was beginning to end, um, I think it also needed, you know, uh, a little bit of balance for that. But yeah, it, I, th I think what with the first two books, I guess if there was if there was uh, holding up a mirror or pointing fingers, it was kind of going in one direction. And frankly, with this one, and it was easy to see this in the two hundred block of charters. Yeah, and um, and it's reflective for not just that part of town, but the city, and you know, many places around the world is. You don't get to decide when building development stops. You don't get to say, oh, I'm comfortable with it right here. No, no, no. Yeah. And what is going on in New Orleans is it's going from blight to some type of building or perhaps overbuilding or whatever, zero to 60, yeah. like quickly. And that's what was happening in that stretch. So I think what I did in this with this book, with holding the mirror up, was to say, okay, it's, it's easy to point fingers at transplants. If somebody can't pronounce... Chapatulas. It's easy to laugh. Okay, aha, uh -huh. they're new. They don't get it. Yeah. But you know what? Um, there's some locals that are cashing in at the expense. There, there was a line to quote from the book: "Those who claim to have 504 seared on their souls, but would be happy to sell out their neighbor in a minute." Yeah. And that's what the book is is looking. You know, not and it's not preachy, but that more than the other two books, um, this one was looking at something like that. No, I think and it's, it's super yeah. relevant considering, yeah. you know, with everything happening with short-term rentals right now and, and right. kind of, you know, all the conversations that kind of uh, intersect right there. Yeah, I mean, what, and what I found going back, you know, this may be the first big time since then, actually being decades, is when I was doing research for um, Arada, which was 84, the yeah. World's Fair, the same thing was happening in the French Quarter then, yeah. which was people who had owned property for years, eh, you know, cheap rent, um, not worth a whole lot. But the minute it seemed like that there were going to be all these people, this big influx, then slap a coat of paint, kick people out, up the rent sort of thing. Interesting. And this seemed what we're, and, and with, you know, much more uh, uh, legs from this as compared to the World's Fair. Yeah. You know, that, that's what we're, that's what we're seeing now. Because, I mean, it's somebody who just moved to town, that's not the person who's necessarily has the, uh, they haven't been here to be embedded enough to necessarily impact things quite as well. That's true. So there's there's a little bit of, you know, again, holding up the mirror to go around. Yeah. So that, that's what this was. I, I think that's... I mean, that's the, you know, the, the book, I want it to be an enjoyable read. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, read, sitting on the couch, sitting outside, sitting on the beach, you know, whatever somebody wants. But being a guy who likes kind of literary stuff too, I mean, I read, that's, I'm kind of half and half. I read a lot of crime fiction. Yeah. International. And then, like, international lit that some that probably are, like, print runs of, like, two to 500. Yeah. You know, more obscure, unless they win the Nobel, <laughs> then boom, then all of a sudden, everybody runs to, you know, publish us. That's what I like. So it's it's trying to inject some of that into, you know, into the, I think the crime 
the crime fiction model is really elastic that you can do a lot with it. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, the, the, the meat and potatoes of it involves things going on in the city, the changing city, um, you know, looking at different people from different social strata, different parts of town. Um, but there's a lot of sugar on top. Yeah. You know, it depends. It depends. It's like, you know, it's like cartoons for children to some extent, you know, you can, you can watch them on a surface level or you can get references and see this and see that. Yeah. And there's still a bunch actually to speak of when, when I said at the beginning that this was not just new Orleans in 2016, but also kind of my version of it. Yeah. Um, I read and watch a lot of like seventies era stuff. Yeah. And so there are references to, um, in fact, the, the woman whose nickname is crystal in this, um, She's named after a character, Vanetta McGee, who was in a bunch of 70s movies. There's just little textual things like that throughout. And it was in the other books, too. So that's the Emory Holmes blurb made me really happy. Because okay. this was a guy who he published, um, actually, he published under the name Butch Holmes with Holloway House. So this is the era of Iceberg Slim, Donald Goins, mm. all those guys in the 70s. Now, he was, I guess he would have been editor of a magazine that they published has been a journalist for years, but this guy knew like all those people, you know, was been involved for decades. So yeah, I want, you know, it's, it's contemporary New Orleans, but there's a kind of seventies vibe in there. Maybe only to me, Yeah, <laughs> as long as I know it textually, that's fine. But you know, if somebody else picks up on it, that's nice too. And that can be eternal yeah. as well. You yeah. know, kind of yeah. sensing that city breathing right there. Um, that's interesting. You know, they're always that stereotypical phrase that you hear about books um, from more marketing than anything that, that the city is a, a character in this. It is. Uh, but it is a in character. this book, it is. It is. It is. In this book, it is. Yeah. Um, I think you yeah. get that in, in like mystery and crime and genre fiction a little bit more. You're able yeah. to play with that a little bit more. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I like about it. Um, it, it, it actually, books that aren't even considered crime fiction yeah. that have strong sense of place, that's the kind of thing I love. And actually, that's with the press. That's something I want to focus on. I'm reading, I actually posted about this yesterday because I'm almost done with the book. I don't want to be done with it, but yeah. I almost am. Um, a guy named Chris Abani, I may be mispronouncing, A-B-A-N-I, a mm. uh, book of his about Lagos, Nigeria called oh. Graceland. Okay. To recommend your book wreck of the day, Graceland by Chris. It's about <laughs> to be returned to the public library. Incredible book. It would not be considered crime fiction, okay. but it involves kind of underbelly of society, enough, you know, enough things that it could be crime fiction, but it was, it was marketed or you know, whatever is literary instead. Yeah. But the sense of place is incredible. I mean, it just, um, and that's what actually with the title, that's kind of what I had in mind to, I wanted to do still kind of keeping with three words for a constraint. Yeah. Um, I wanted a title that was a little different and not, not maybe so typical as being crime fiction. Yeah. And there's, there's a literary term that, uh, the name escapes me. Um, but it's such where you take three unrelated words and you put them together, you know, almost like a triptych yeah. where, where they, they kind of impact or feed off of each other a little yeah. bit. And also, you know, you know, how does this or why does this kind of fit together? But as you know, from the book itself, these are the three main components of the book yeah. are basically two of the characters, it's their nicknames and then, and then the city of New Orleans itself. So yeah, yeah, that's how that all that fits together. Interesting. Yeah. We've talked about about serialized storytelling and your love of it, not just from your your own writing, um, but like the Decalogue. You've talked a lot about that yeah. and that influence uh, yeah. on you. Um, what's your favorite aspect of writing in a serialized form, and and what do you enjoy about it? Just you know, from viewing it or, or reading it itself. You know what? Actually, in this book, the, here are a couple examples. 
uh, two characters that were in the first book um, in um, different form, shorter, much shorter form, yeah. um, and were not in the second book, came back stronger. One of them is the guy who uh, Run Baby Run. So the first book is Run Baby Run, Lawn Desires a Second, for those who don't know. Um, but Toes, the guy who's a graffiti artist, mm-hmm. the, the book begins with him, um, Run Baby Run does. He in this is um, an artist for hire, or so he thinks, for this musician. Ah. So he's the same guy that's that's basically doing this this painting for um, um, for the arc ticket. The pre- Actually, I'll throw this in. So the premise of the book, in part, is uh, there's a musician who tries to come up with this, different ways to raise, i.e., scam money. So he with some pastors uh, decide that they are going to sell ARC tickets as an ARK. Um, so if if hurricane comes, floodwaters come, um, then you can be on the ARC and be safe. Yeah. The deal is you buy your ticket, and then with an X amount of time, uh, a few weeks, you get more than your money back. So it's essentially a pyramid scheme. And at a certain point, it can't keep going. Yeah. The ARC is never really intended to be built anyway no. <laughs> when it comes down to it. So the guy who's doing the artwork for this... Um, Toes was in the first book, um, and then also there's a character who, she was in it, but but not a whole lot in the first one, and she takes more prominent um, role in this uh, Lyric. So Lyric is is the one who comes up with an idea to raise a little bit of money, yeah. and and Lyric is, is somebody who her, her head and I guess every way that she kind of carries things out, she's of the streets, not the classroom, but she knows, as anybody who knows, whether you read it in a textbook or whether you're living it, you know that great wealth often starts with a crime. Yeah. So that's what she knows. And she figures out a way to raise some money and kind of get it going with that. So, yeah. So she was, so, so to bring, to bring people back and kind of explore and look at different sides of them and also a little bit of times past, you know, for everybody. Um, I love, I love the idea of, and this would be straight from the Decalogue, looking at people from different angles, you know, um, I, I, that that to me is is as enjoyable as anything else. Yeah. And I had, in fact, um, uh, a person I know who who read the first couple books said, "Please bring back lyric." Yeah. And was so like, <laughs> in fact, you could have her do this, this. I was like, you should be writing though. Yeah. yeah. This great idea, and and she was so gung ho about it. Um, uh, this lady that in fact, I wrote her into it. She's the woman who. Uh, there, there's a woman that Lyric encounters, a, a local that Lyric encounters on Canal Street, and this woman kind of calls her out. That's my friend. Aww. So how she would actually interact with her, <laughs> like, you know, fictionally. But yeah, that was fun. I think that's great. That was fun. Um, yeah. You know, whereas most of this is not, it's not ripped from the headlines kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, okay, maybe I'd see some of the headline that, that evokes something beyond that, but I'm not trying to rewrite the news. You know, no, at the same of course, time. but you're, you're taking, we can get that every day. You can, for you better can. or worse. Yeah. But you know, yeah. you're kind of taking and you're piecing certain things together, and uh, sometimes hilarious abstract structures like the arc is just like so poetically hilarious and also tragic because it's like nobody can save themselves. You right. Know? Right. Um, I love that. I love that image and, and that thought process going in for for the plotting. Um, but you can't, you know, with that. I thought, please don't let that actually happened before yeah. the book gets done? Yeah. Because could it happen? Probably not. But yeah, it might. Never say never anymore. You know, yeah. Right. And I was like, <laughs> nobody's done anything like that that I know of you yeah. know, with that that concept. So please let that not show up somewhere. <laughs> the blame on yeah. McLellan's Yeah, I tried to keep that real quiet <laughs> until about a month or two out talking yeah. about the book. 
Yeah. That's good. Hopefully yeah. nobody will take you up on that. Offer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, man. Well, um, pyramids, I mean, pyramid schemes, a pyramid scheme, you know, it changes its name. It, you know, things differ a little bit, but yeah, it's the same old story. It's true. It's, it's the true. same old story. If you can put in some money and get more money back, you know, in X amount of time, <laughs> you can get enough people into it. Yeah. Do you, you know, three books in nearly finishing your, your, your fourth, um, do you have an end game for the series? Or are you just going to keep on going until you, you don't have anything to talk about? Uh, I mean, the idea with it, because I, I like a finite uh, period on these. Yeah. So the idea the idea from the from the get-go was 10 books. 10 books? For example, I read all of James Lee Burke's books. Yeah. Nobody writes like him. But at a certain point, they've, they're kind of samey. Yeah. With respect, because, you know, why not write another book when nobody writes like you, no matter what you do? Mm-hmm. Um, I think people, you could say that about maybe James Elroy, but yeah. not as many books, you know, after reading a few of them. But again, total respect to James Elroy, because there are very few American authors that I would put, you know, um, above him. But for me, what what I wanted to happen was keep this to limited to X amount of time. So this could be, you know, this kind of time capsule of New Orleans as it was during this period. Yeah. Combined with the New Orleans in my head, what I, what yeah. I imagine. But what I also went through these... Um, I don't know if you picked up, um, in each of these books, um, Bobby Delery and Bobby Delery is a protagonist. He's a criminologist who has to, um, be out on the streets instead of in the classroom, basically. Yeah. Um, he spends very little time in the classroom in my books. So, <laughs> so he's a two, he's a two lane prof who's not a two lane a whole lot. Oh, good so yeah, yeah. Cause those scenes just wouldn't quite be, um, but in each book he, breaks a new taboo. Mm. So what I want to happen or what, what will happen as each of the books progresses is, is that Delery is changed very much by the time he gets to the end of it. And I'm not sure yet, are we going to get to book nine, book 10 and he will have each book is a crossing of a line and he gets to a certain point where he's, he's, he's going beyond kind of the gray areas of things. Yeah. Or at least is he to a point where he's totally unrecognizable from the first book? I'm not sure how that kind of will be conceived, but um, if nothing else, that will happen. And also, essentially, it's looking at about a decade of things in New Orleans. So if somebody wanted to say, okay, you know, for this period of time, a general sense of what was kind of going on in the city, what did the city feel like? Yeah. Would you call then it the post-Katrina period or what would you call it? I mean, it is, but it's it's far enough beyond, that. you know, at the same time. Yeah, I mean, because the first one, the first one would have been not quite, but almost a decade out. Yeah. So it is post-Katrina, but, you know, I don't know how you would define that. I think, I guess we'll have uh, a Rich Campanella book that will break down those periods because he's been quiet. So, you know, there's research and work going on. Yeah, I bet. He or somebody else will, <laughs> will, um, will define that. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we'd, I don't know, maybe the, uh, the teens twenties yeah. in New Orleans or, you know what, there will be a term for it as I think of it, because as far as the influx of, of people and how the city has been changing, it has been, um, and I think Campanella did write about this and probably will continue to, um, there has been more of an influx of people. Yeah. Before it was few people come, more people leave. But but what's been happening the last few years, call it five years, whatever, um, has been really unprecedented unprecedented since about a century prior to that. Yeah. When the early nineteen hundreds, 
I think it was largely immigration and folks, people and, immigration yeah. and a lot of business people from New York and Philly, ah. East Coast in general, that were coming down here. We haven't seen so much of a per capita jump in people coming and fewer going yeah. since about that time. So it will be defined as some era, but I don't, I don't know what a good term for it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, other than I've heard people, you know, the new New Orleans. The new New Orleans, yeah. So there's, there is that. Uh, NOLA, people didn't used to use NOLA really before, but some of that I think is social media because it's a shortcut. I think so. Hashtag, hashtag NOLA, yeah. Yeah, but that may be, maybe that's it. Maybe. Hashtag, hashtag NOLA. Hashtag NOLA. The hashtag NOLA period. The hashtag period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because that all coincided, you know, uh, smartphones and tech and all that coincided with kind of Katrina and then post-Katrina. Yeah. So it, and also, you know, when you're trying to deal with a contract or this or that, you might not have a PC, but if you had a phone people were welcome to that. I mean, that, yeah. that seemed like I, I didn't see any of those on the street and then all of a sudden overnight. Everyone that changed. needed it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that seemed to, to, to shift. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting period for sure. And I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure how it, Is it gonna how resolve? it lands. Or, right. Yeah. It's not going to Again, there's no in between. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. not, you don't, get, you don't get to decide whether you were born and raised or moved here two years ago because you wanted X and you don't think it's X anymore. You don't get to decide where New Orleans stops and starts. Yeah, um, like any city, it's in, it's in constant flux. I think the only thing that you can do is, especially if you feel like, oh, this is changing around me, and I, I don't like what what's happening, you know, or even if you do whatever. Uh, I think the only thing you can do is is be involved in and do things and create and make things that are your version of what you want it to be. Yeah. I think in any case, that's always the best thing to do it because you. Then there's some sense of, of fulfillment or creativity, and you meet like-minded people. Yeah, and um, that's one good thing for sure with technology is it's a way to meet like-minded people, whether it's in your backyard or, you know, around the world. Um, I think with, I mean, this is always going to be a tourist town, you yeah. know, nationally, internationally. So with that, I think there is always going to be some kind of feeling in flux, where there's always people kind of coming and going, and um, it's not like some other cities where smaller cities like ours, not like a Manhattan, yeah. but it's not like other cities where um, there's a larger percentage of the population that are more straightforward nine to five office hours. It's, it's more of a 24-hour city in part because of tourism. Yeah. So people's work schedules shift with that, you know? That's true. And at the same time, per capita, uh, poverty is very high, but also wealth and degreed people are very high. So that also makes it kind of unique, you know, at the same time, um, for better and worse. And I guess those are going to, whatever version, those are going to impact it. Yeah, it's a know? strange time to be here. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot. You're talking yeah. about what happens when a transitory place becomes permanent for a lot more folks, right? That's true. Exactly. Or, or how does a city built on all these different contradictions, both historical and societal, kind of sustain itself without, yes. you know, really inciting violence at some point? You just articulated <laughs> so much better what I said. So in, in the edits, that will be resolved. Oh, no, that's good. I, I like everything that you say because, you know, we're, yeah. we're diving into it. And one of those things, I mean, it's good for your writing, obviously, because, you know, New Orleans. It's observational. Yeah. So easily observational. Just, Especially like within crime, you know, you you don't really have to go and make this city hard boiled and, and strange no. because it's already that, you no. know, uh, you're really not pushing it towards the fictitious that much. Right. Um, that's interesting. There are always people and it doesn't on whatever level. Yeah. You can go into the French Quarter and on the street or you can go into an office building. Yeah. 20th floor and there are people on the make in some way. 
I mean, and that's just, that is what it is. Yeah. That is what it is. <laughs> well, um, Michael, what events do you have coming up in the, the next couple of weeks or so? I will be on a uh, panel for Faulkner Fest. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the thrust of that is. Yeah. But that should be good. Um, and there should be some more um, library events and other things like that to come, okay. for sure. Fantastic, man. And and for people that are interested in keeping up with you, uh, is there a website that they, they can find your information at? Yeah, they can go um, to a few places, uh, Michael Allen Zell with the Z dot com uh, or with social media. Uh, the page that I use for writing is just M-A-Z. Um, they can find anything off of that. But pretty much searching around their Instagram, something will will show up. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then what I'd like in 2019 and we'll see, we'll see whether it's a New Orleans author or um, somebody international. That'll be the next the next round. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. And it could it could end up... The second book will be key because you can't plot a line without two points, right? Yeah. So if the second book is also an author who does crime fiction, then maybe that's going to be a way to go, like good international crime fiction. Yeah. But if not, it might be something different. Okay. I know what I have in my mind. I want good sense of place. I want... Even if... You know, this book is very New Orleans. The book that I mentioned, the, the uh, book Graceland... Is very Lagos, Nigeria. Yeah. But I hope mine and I know that that Chris Abani's book definitely are books that read like people who have read of other places, been to other places, are not so insular. Like you can have good sense of place, but not be insular at the same time. Yeah. You know where that's his books read like somebody who has read international literature yeah. and he knows of people like that. And I think that can be it's an easy, but I think a legitimate knock on a lot of authors in the U.S is people can be well-read, but not well-read outside of the borders of the United States and not even North America because that's Canadian authors who get excluded, right? It's true. So it's, you know, really well-read, but in such a small, finite area. Yeah. And I want, I want, I want to have authors uh, who, who are more familiar with the rest of the world on that, for yeah. sure. And they, yeah. they bring something with that. There's something, yeah, you know, you, you, can, you can write about your own city, but, you know, having that kind of background of um, how other things work in other places can yeah. really inform. It gives you context. Yeah. It totally gives you context. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the best thing to to do is just step out of New Orleans from time to time. Yeah, you know, and then you you see you see the city, you see everything with different eyes for sure. It's true. I uh, went to New York for for a week for a um my partner's uh, book launch up there, and mm. uh, I was so happy to be back here. Like it's it's so strange. You know, I really I really like New York. I I wouldn't mind living there for for a second, but I'd always want to come back here. Gives you perspective. It does. It does. Yeah. You miss it. Yeah, you're not. I mean, you're not walking down the street here there and see somebody, oh, it's so-and-so from this, hello. Yeah. We have a small town, kind of old-timey um, sort of way that I like. I like that a lot. There is there is something about uh, culture and crowds, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I'm definitely with you. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> Literally. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, Michael, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, David.